0: where a whole city evacuates to escape an infectious disease. Don't you want to go on the Ferris wheel? Maggie called after her. She reached up and touched the lump at her temple. It was hot and throbbing, and dotted in the center with a small smear of blood. Come on, let's do the bumper cars. Please, 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 please. Ronnie hopped up and down beneath her sodden windbreaker. Fine, Maggie sighed, holding out her hand to the rain to clean the blood from her fingers. Ronnie flashed a winning smile, infectious and gap-toothed, and they lined up behind the small herd of other little kids who stood waiting to turn in their tokens. Maggie was taller than all of them, by at least a head. Earlier, they'd passed a group of Irish teenagers, kids of about Maggie's age, maybe even her future classmates at St. Bridget's. The boys were dressed in track suits and gym shoe brands she'd never heard of, and the girls wore tights under their skirts and heavy gold necklaces. Not one of them had even glanced in her direction. Maggie was quickly learning that being Irish-American, as she was, was quite different than actually being Irish. Now she stood behind Ronnie and watched the group as they walked toward the road. Their clothes, their slang, the way they wore their hair. All of it was foreign and unfamiliar. All of it was new, intimidating, and strange. I'm never going to fit in here, she thought. The announcement that after four months of dating, their mother was marrying a man five years her junior, and they were all moving to his hometown in Ireland so he could help run his brother's construction business, wasn't really all that surprising, since the day ten years earlier when Maggie's father had walked out on them for a woman known in their home only as Bitch, her mom had developed a tendency to fall madly in love with whatever loser she was currently dating. It had always been easy for Laura Lynch to meet men. She was still young, had high, round breasts and green eyes fringed in long mascara tarred lashes, and she spoke in a gentle, low voice that men leaned in to hear. Each of her romances was a whirlwind, and each ended in total disaster. In the aftermath, Laura would lubricate her despair with great quantities of red wine, and the occasional sleeping pill. Over the years, whenever this happened, Maggie had learned to quietly pack a bag for herself and Ronnie, drag it up the stairs, and knock on the door to their grandma's apartment on the second floor of the two-flat. Mom's having one of her moments, she'd explain. How bad this time? Nanny I, dressed in pleated jeans and a seasonal turtleneck, would step out in the hallway, and the three of them would listen to the noises drifting up the stairs from the first floor. Sometimes there was sobbing. Other times there was drunken snoring. For the really bad times, there was Bob Dylan's The Free Wheelin' Blasting from the Tape Player, and for the really, really bad times, there was Joni Mitchell's Blue Album, with Laura howling along in an off-key soprano. Okay, girls, Nanny I would sigh, herding them into her cozy apartment of faded beige carpets, fried breakfast smells, and cable TV. I'll make some pork and beans. When she met Colum, in April, Laura was coming off a blue-level breakup with Ned the gambling addict, who had spent most of his days walking around the apartment shouting bets into the cordless phone and crop dusting the air with silent, sulphurous farts. Column possessed all of the qualities that Ned, and for that matter all of Laura's previous boyfriends, lacked. He had a job for one. When-